Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. A number of laws go into effect on July 1st, but to put it bluntly, one bill signed into law has already gotten most of the attention. Recreational cannabis for adults is legal in Connecticut starting tomorrow. Today, where we live, we'll talk to Governor Ned Lamont about why he signed this into law and how the process will unfold in our state for residents to grow and sell recreational marijuana. There's a lot to talk about beyond cannabis. We'll hit multiple topics this hour and take your calls, too. What questions do you have for Governor Lamont? Here's your chance to ask them, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also share a comment on our Facebook page and find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Governor Ned Lamont joins us on Zoom. Governor, good to talk with you again. Good morning, Lucy. So tomorrow, marijuana possession becomes legal in Connecticut for adults. And I want to talk to you about why you believe this was needed in our state. It's needed in our state because as you've been driving around, you see billboards all over the place saying, drive on up to Massachusetts, uh, legal cannabis there, uh, bring it home. Uh, You probably know that New York is going to be doing the same thing in uh, less than a year. And so I just figured, and I think the majority of the legislature figured, look, if this is going to be, um, if we're going to have cannabis in the state, let's do it in a legal, regulated way with a big emphasis upon public health, limit exposure to young people, cap the THC, and make sure that uh, out-of-state or the underground market with fentanyl uh, doesn't dominate this market. So what are the next steps? Uh, What we did was we did a a full briefing to all the uh, police. It's not that big a change what happens tomorrow because, like I said, people have been driving to Massachusetts for a while, but make sure they know what those rules are. And more importantly, uh, we're setting up over at uh, Consumer Protection a regulatory apparatus, and it'll probably take a year before the um, sale, legal sale of recreational cannabis uh, starts. We'll start off with the medical marijuana folks, since they've done it on a very um, cautious way over the last uh, many years for the medical folks, and they'll be the first ones able to sell it in, in Connecticut. So retail will be up and running, I believe, now in later 2022. It's complicated. And so when we talk about uh, DCP overseeing this, there's also an equity commission. Who do you think should sit on that equity commission, Governor? I think it ought to be a mix of people who know the communities, who um, can give people an idea of um, what that opportunity is for them to have um, capital so they can start up a business, start up a business in those incredibly distressed communities that were hardest hit by the war on uh, drugs. And secondly, folks who know something about investing can help people uh, start up their business, help them make sure uh, they uh, do it and they can do it right. When we think about the number of licenses the state uh, could give uh, to individuals, especially those in those communities hardest hit by the war on drugs, how many licenses are we talking about, Governor? Uh, I think we'll see. Uh, 
I would just as soon start slowly and uh, ramp up from there. I think uh, you start with folks in our uh, distressed community so they get an opportunity to um, uh, avail themselves of these licenses, uh, work with some strong expertise. Uh, remember, licenses are for growing, licenses are for distribution, licenses are for selling. And, uh, and remember, Lucy, we're by no means the first to the advance here. I mean, we're looking at 18 other states, some of which have been doing this for close to 10 years. So we've been able to learn from their example. You can join our conversation with Governor Ned Lamont. He's here for the hour to take your questions, whether it's about cannabis or other issues, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, we got a, a tweet from Dan who mentioned uh, the when there were negotiations near uh, the last days, I believe, of the legislative session, then there was the special session that you had threatened to veto the this uh, cannabis bill as it was amended, uh, those who crafted that legislation, the amendment, were people like Representative Robin Porter, who was shocked by your statement that you would veto because she was trying to get more social equity applicants into the process. So he wants to know what was the real reason for the veto threat? Um, we had negotiated in good faith with the legislature. We'd reached an agreement on what the terms of um, marijuana legalization was going to be, what the terms of social equity was going to be, with a real priority given to those uh, communities that were hardest hit by uh, the war on drugs. And we had an agreement on that. And at the last moment, some folks tried to uh, put in an amendment that um, never really got an airing, which I didn't think was right. And uh, so that's why I said, look, we have a process we go through. We've reached agreement on how we do marijuana on a fair and equitable basis. Let's stick with the deal we reached. So this was the deal that was reached to get this bill signed into law. But with the Equity Commission, could they, in fact, uh, look again at uh, the uh, characteristics or um, the um, the eligibility terms for someone to get a license uh, to sell um, this uh, cannabis in our state, uh, maybe to make it uh, wider than being attached to a geographic location, Governor? Uh, I think the legislature struck a pretty good balance. Um, and I think tying it to those communities that were hardest hit makes sense. I mean, it doesn't, you know, if you're a kid in college and you got a hit for, um, doing marijuana back in the 90s? Does that mean you should be at the front of the line to get um, a, one of these licenses? I don't think so. Uh, I, I think it ought to really go to those communities that were hardest hit. When it comes to social equity, I think that's the priority we put on the table. Uh, since Dan brought up Representative Porter, we had her on recently here on Where We Live, and she spoke pretty candidly, uh, said that uh, your administration doesn't want her input on issues like the cannabis bill. This is what she told us. Frankly, they don't want me at the table. Um, and I say that because that's what I've been told by people who are actually at the table. Um, and that's something that I just think really needs to be, we need to be honest about, you know, that is part of the challenge. Um, and I think it comes because I do have strong will and, and, and I'm very vocal. So she had also told us that your relationship is very challenging in her words. So how do you mend fences with Democrats like Representative Porter who want to go farther on racial justice issues? Lucy, uh, it's a big table. Uh, they're progressive Democrats. They're moderate Democrats. Uh, they're Republicans, uh, urban, suburban. I represent everybody. 
And uh, as you know, everybody is at the table, and that's how he crafted an agreement that got um, a strong majority in the uh, House and the Senate. Frankly, in the Senate, it took three votes, and they passed it uh, three times in a row. Uh, so um, we work very closely, for example, with um, Senator Gary Winfield, uh, judiciary, and uh, work closely with him, very constructive relationship. But you're right. I think um, I, I don't think putting amendments in at 1159 with a midnight deadline is the right way to do business. Mm. Uh, Representative Porter is well respected in her community. Obviously, a lot of lawmakers in the General Assembly. But when you hear um, her concerns and feeling like she's not at the table, I mean, how do you mend fences with her? Is this a priority for you? Look, it's a priority that I reach out to um, everybody. I've tried to change the tone in that building. I've tried to say I've got an open door. I've tried to say I'm here to represent everybody. Um, and uh, so, uh, Robin, come on in. I'd love to sit down and, and talk to you. Uh, look, for the first time in, you know, recorded history, um, uh, you know, we got a budget done on time, a budget done with bipartisan support, progressives as well as uh, moderates uh, signing up to the table and what that meant. Uh, you know, a budget that really has a chance to make a big difference for people in the state. Biggest expansion of daycare and childcare in the history of the state. So I think um, it was a pretty good session overall. I can't make all the people happy all the time, but I think the vast majority know this is a big step forward for the state of Connecticut. And we'll be talking more about that uh, budget, the two-year budget that was approved here on the show. Again, you can ask your question of Governor Ned Lamont, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Jay's calling in from Brantford. Hi, Jay. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, Governor, nice to talk to you, and thanks for coming on NPR. I wanted to know about the eviction moratorium at the state level. If your moratorium expires today and the U.S. moratorium was extended by the CDC and the Supreme Court decided not to stop it in a decision just yesterday, but Connecticut's rental assistance program has been very slow to roll out and has met a lot of reluctance from landlords, are you considering extending our moratorium for another three weeks with your emergency powers give United CT more time to try and enroll landlords and prevent an avalanche of evictions. Governor? Yeah. Uh, hey, Jay. Um, I, I think we're going to make a call on that um, uh, later today. But here's what you got to know. United CT, we've got um, – close to half a billion dollars, working at a Department of Housing. We get landlords and tenants together. We put together an arrangement where tenants stay in their homes and landlords, uh, we help with the payments so that uh, landlords can continue to uh, pay their bills as well. And uh, you're right, across the country, um, Departments of Housing trying to figure out the minutia of federal um, regulations on this got off to a slow start. Connecticut's caught up a lot in the last uh, month, month and a half. We have a very um, limited backlog right now. So my instinct is now that it's working to make sure that before any evictions take place, uh, landlord and tenant go to Unite CT and reach that agreement before anything else can happen. But it sounds like the clock is ticking if this eviction moratorium expires today, Governor. Is this something that you can announce on your show that you would be willing to extend and give people more time to you know, find this program to get assistance as well? 
Well, again, Lucy, listen to what I just said. I just said um, uh, if it's not extended, there's still going to be a period of time before anybody can be evicted. You've got to go to Unite CT. You've got to put together um, an arrangement so that uh, landlords and tenants get paid and go for it. So nobody's going to be getting evicted in the next uh, 30 days. But Unite CT is a new program. Do enough people know about this program, Governor? Well, um, again, if anybody is thinking about evicting somebody, you have to go to Unite CT. We'll set that up. You go to 211 and make that arrangement. And I can tell you that, um, you know, we've handled um, hundreds, thousands of claims already. Believe me, the landlords know about it and all the tenants are getting to know about it. We have Unite CT programs in, a, you know, many of our towns and municipalities all over the state right now, reaching out, making sure the tenants have the resources they need to start making payments so they can stay in their homes and people don't get evicted. And again, Unite CT is a program that gives $10,000 in rental assistance, also a smaller amount for electricity payments to landlords and utility companies on behalf of tenants and homeowners financially hurt by the pandemic. You said there's a lot of money uh, in this pool. And do we know how many people have applied? Uh, what I do know is we've taken care of about um, the vast majority of the applications. Um, you know, Jay was right. It took a while to get this thing going, but it's been going strong for over a month now. And there's a very uh, small backlog there. And that's why I feel confident, Lucy, that if anybody's um, thinking about evictions, um, you have to go to Unite CT and we're going to be able to make a deal that keeps you in your home. Again, you can join our conversation if you have a question for the governor, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Marina from Stanford wanted to go back to the cannabis uh, topic and her question for you. With marijuana possession becoming illegal, that's tomorrow, will people be able to smoke openly in public places? What will be done to stop all of us residents from smelling marijuana in public places? Uh, it's going to have the same strict restrictions. Actually, we're strengthening the restrictions that you have on uh, smoking tobacco in very limited um, locations, not in big public places, not next to restaurants. Uh, so I think um, it's mainly going to be for your own private use. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Uh, Richard's calling in from Vernon. Richard, what's your question for the governor? Yeah, hi. Good morning, Governor. Um, hey, I'm 62 years, uh, good morning. I'm 62 years old, and, um, I'm, and my question is regarding the SOR, the Sex Offenders Registry. Um, I was convicted in 1990. In 97, they decided to uh, invoke Megan's Law, which was the registration. And what they did was they reached back to 1988, which scooped me up and made me become part of the registry of sex offenders. And I'm 62 years old. I've been on there since um, the last, let's, let's put it this way, the last 20 years, it has prevented me from having a career, getting a job, and every job I have to lie to get the job, then I, then I, I get fired and I have to go through the whole cycle. And when I've talked to the legislation, they pretty much say that they know they got the law backwards because child molesters are on there for only 10 years. I'm on there for life, and it has become a life sentence for me. And I'd like to know 
if there's anything possible that can be done, because I know you're working on a second chance law, and um, I'm at the point now where I'm going to be 63 in October, and I don't think this is ever going to change, and I haven't worked for the last 20 years. Yeah, Richard, I, I can't speak to the specifics of um, sex offenses. Uh, I think they are in a different category, you mentioned Megan's Law, uh, but I think more broadly what we've done in terms of clean slate is um, uh, says for misdemeanors and some felonies, there after a period of time, after you've served your time, after you've been out in good behavior, um, there you do get that second chance. But I'm afraid that there's certain types of crimes, including sex crimes, it may be exempted under that. We'll have to get back to you there. When you talk about the, the clean slate bill, there, it applies to certain uh, crime convictions uh, that will be wiped if there's no uh, crimes within a certain period. And so was this something that was difficult to negotiate before you signed? Were there uh, issues that you had before signing, Governor? Yeah, you know, there were, Lucy. I mean, um, I felt, you know, strong look for misdemeanors, uh, those nonviolent type crimes uh, where people have, um, you know, served their time, uh, clean that slate, get them off on the right foot, give them an opportunity uh, that's not a, a punishment for life. I did worry a little bit about, um, you know, the felonies, those crimes that maybe involve violence, those crimes that maybe had uh, different attributes, including um, sex related crimes. Uh, you know, and it depends what job you're going for, um, you know, a daycare center or teaching or things like that. So I wanted to err on the side of caution there to be true with you. And I think we reached a pretty good compromise where uh, the clean slate is overwhelmingly for those misdemeanors and some selected um, uh, felonies, which are primarily, I believe, nonviolent in nature. A lot of criminal justice bills brought up this legislative session. We just talked about one. What about the limits on solitary confinement? Have you signed this measure yet? Do you have any concerns about it? I have, I have not signed it. We just got it. Uh, Nora Danahy is uh, going over it with a fine tooth comb. But I will tell you, um, you know, I, I've heard from both sides. I, I've certainly heard from advocates, and I hear loud and clear that solitary confinement is not an appropriate punishment. And it makes the situation worse, not better. Uh, that said, I've also heard from um, advocates on behalf of the inmates. I've heard from corrections officers who also say that solitary confinement in some very limited circumstances is, is important to keep the general facility safe because some of these um, you know, inmates can be a danger to others. And uh, sometimes they need the flexibility of some solitary confinement in that environment. So. What we do with the law or what we do with regulation, I'm going to make sure that um, solitary confinement is not um, going to be used as long term, not going to be used as punishment. But we do have to keep the facility safe. I understand correction officers are going to be rallying outside the Capitol this afternoon. They want you to veto that solitary confinement bill. What would you say to them? I think just what I uh, said to you. Again, you're talking with Governor Ned Lamont, or we're talking with Governor Ned Lamont here on Where We Live. You're hearing him, and he can answer your questions as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We were just talking about Unite CT and the eviction moratorium. Jennifer from Willimantic has a question related to that. Go ahead, Jennifer. Oh, hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, Governor, I own um, a, a one small multifamily property, and I do have um, a difficult, uh, I'm having difficulty with one tenant who does not want to apply for assistance, who has not paid in over six months, 
and I actually listed my property um, for sale because of the difficulty, and now is also actually refusing to participate in any showings and becoming extremely combative. So the eviction moratorium, um, I think, for certain situations is, is very unfair, and there is no exception for a situation like mine. So I urge you to let it expire and let some, some of us um, that are in this situation try to find a way to dig out of it. And I would like to know your thoughts. Yeah, Jennifer, um, it, it's worth remembering that most of the landlords are more are, are like Jennifer. Maybe they've got um, a half dozen units. These are not like big conglomerates um, that are doing this. And um, so to your point, uh, if you have a tenant that hasn't paid, is refusing to pay, and once that eviction moratorium is lifted, which will be very soon, uh, they will have to go to Unite CT. They will have to um, see if they can reach an agreement. And if they refuse, then they can't stay where they are. But uh, at least we're giving them one last relief, which is mandatory. Talk to Unite CT. We're going to take a quick break. And again, we'll be back with Governor Lamont after that break. Just 90 seconds. And you can join us as well. 888-720-9677 with your question. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont for the hour, here to answer your questions as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. A lot to talk about, Governor, but a lot of callers want to hear your views on cannabis. So Tyler in Oxford, what's your question for the governor? Good morning. Um, I wanted to know if there are any protections for workers in terms of a uh using marijuana off the clock now that it uh, can be legal starting tomorrow. Um, and if there aren't any protections, you know, what's in the works? Because we can't have people um, being uh, you know, punished for using legal substances when they're not, you know, at work. Yeah, Tyler, um, you're still subject to all the rules of your employer. For example, if you work for a defense contractor like Electric Boat or Sikorsky, you know, they're very strict. And this is subject to federal law that, um, you know, no marijuana use. Obviously, there's no marijuana use like there's no you know, alcohol use at, at your place of employment. That's sort of standard across the board. 
But, um, you know, we've got the broad public rules. Now you're going to have to work with your employer in terms of what those specific rules are. Okay, one more on marijuana. Paul from Willimantic, go ahead. Uh, hi, Governor. Um, I'm just going to quote here from a little thing I saw in Bottom Line Personal on May 15, 2017. It says marijuana may cause heart attack and stroke. We hear from Adihi Kalia, who is a cardiologist fellow at Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia and leader of an analysis of 20 million health records at more than 1,000 U.S. hospitals in 2009 to 2010, and here we go. Um, Recent findings, hospital patients ages 18 to 55 who had used marijuana had a 26% increased stroke risk and 10% higher heart failure risk than ones who did not use it. I'd like to get your comment on that in response to that. Yeah, what I worry about is uh, they're probably using some um, junk they bought from a uh, backyard dealer that's laced with fentanyl or something that's incredibly dangerous, which is, uh, you know, one of the many reasons we want this to be a carefully regulated market out there. And um, and by the way, it's not like people are going to start smoking marijuana tomorrow, Paul. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid to say we're surrounded by states. We're in a country where it is available and probably better to be available in a carefully regulated way rather than from the underground market. Uh, someone had asked on Twitter, and it relates. So before we move on from marijuana, you know, he, this person's concerned that there's not enough funding for marijuana prevention and education. How does uh, this new law going forward uh, allocate money towards that, Governor? Uh, yeah, um, it, it certainly allocates. I, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars it is, but we're really going to be paying special attention to any potential risks, addiction services, and by the way, as part of our budget, uh, part of what we're able to do more broadly under uh, mental health and addiction services, they call it DEMAS, uh, is a big expansion there. You know, less in this case related to marijuana, um, Lucy, more related to the fact that, um, you know, given COVID, which hasn't even come up yet, um, there's just been incredible stress on people, in particular young people, many young people who, um, you know, weren't going to work or weren't going to school. And uh, we have to pay special attention to them. So that's why the mental health and addiction services is a big piece of our budget. Again, you can ask the governor a question, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Did I say that would be the last question on marijuana? I lied. Here's Chris from Southern Connecticut. Chris, go ahead quickly. Hi. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a small in Connecticut, and I was wondering if uh, it's, we're going to be able to participate in this market, or is it only going to be open to a small number of people with millionaire investors to, to be part of it? No, Chris. Um, there'll be a, a lottery system. Um, some of it is going to go to folks from those distressed communities, like we talked about previously. Uh, Some can go to um, small entrepreneurs like you, and um, it will expand over a period of time in a careful way. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. We're moving on from talking about cannabis. Let's talk about this. Oh, come on, Lucy. We're just getting started. (laughs) Well, let me ask you something. Recreational marijuana, is this something that you would try? (laughs) (laughs) Is that something? We'll say that again. Recreational marijuana, is this something that you would try, Governor? Not immediately. (laughs) <laughs> Again, that's Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont here on Where We Live. Let's talk about that legislative session. What would you say is the, the biggest thing you and the General Assembly accomplished this legislative session, Governor? 
I had several priorities. One, um, I wanted to get a budget that took care of those folks who are hardest hit by uh, COVID. I wanted a budget that took advantage of the federal support we have to take care of folks who have been left behind. I wanted to get a budget that was done on time, which I think is important to the good um, operation of business. I was very pleased it was a bipartisan budget. It says that it um, you know, spoke to all different groups in our community, which I thought was important. And it was, I also wanted a budget that uh, emphasized economic growth. You're never gonna have economic uh, opportunity, economic justice unless you have economic growth. So that's why um, you know, I was pretty strict when it came to raising taxes. I reduced some taxes for working families, but more importantly, doing everything I can to make sure people have the economic opportunity they need and deserve. Let's talk about taxes. You said you were fairly strict. This is something that you did not want to see in this budget. Uh, you know there are fellow Democrats who want to see the tax burden be shifted off low-income people onto higher-income people, increasing taxes on the wealthy, and that money in turn would help uh, be reinvested in low-income communities and pay for uh, services that they need. And so talk through again why you believe that raising taxes is not the right strategy. Um, well, I think you'll find that um, most folks in the legislature agreed that this was not the time, you know, fifth time in 20 years or something to continue raising taxes. We didn't have to raise taxes. We've got, uh, you know, six, seven billion dollars from the federal government that's going to go towards those folks who have been hardest hit and make sure they get the opportunity, you know, free summer camp starting up, uh, you know, next week, uh, big wraparound services for our schools, after school programs apprentice programs, workforce development programs. So I, I really believe that we could have the most progressive budget in the history of the state. And we did it without raising taxes. And what that means is more businesses are starting up. There's more job opportunity for people and salaries are going up, which is really important. You mentioned it's not the right time, and you have said during this session with a rainy day fund now that has, what, $4 billion in it? Yeah, you would know better than me. Uh, also, all of this federal COVID relief money now is not the time, but you had also campaigned to give middle-class families a tax cut. So um, how do you provide them relief, if not when, we, when this money is gone from the federal government? First of all, we've got the... Um biggest support for municipalities and towns, you know, ever. And that means that they, that allows mayors and first selectmen to hold the line on property taxes and reduce property taxes. Uh, we're able to uh, make sure that retirees can afford to stay in the state of Connecticut by reducing the amount of their pension income that is subject to tax. That was a tax cut uh, for folks. Uh, the legislature helped me with this earned income tax credit. You know, Marty Looney and Matt Ritter really strong on that. That means make work pay for those um, working folks. They have to pay a lot less tax because of the earned income tax credit that supports them. Uh, we brought down the high price of health care, but the biggest expansion of um, the health care exchange, otherwise known as Obamacare, that we've seen since uh, Barack Obama. So, again, bringing down those costs. So I really think we made a big emphasis upon the middle class and affordability and giving folks who otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity a big opportunity. I understand that there is a tax study that's going to be uh, moving forward uh, related uh, to what the legislature passed. Uh, looking at our state, we know that their income inequality is a big issue here. What's your take on this tax fairness study? 
Look, I'm, I'm happy to do um, that study. Um, I hope we do it in the context of not just the state, but the federal government. Um, believe it or not, you know, I was a big supporter of Joe Biden. Joe Biden has made a progressive income tax and tax fairness a big priority uh, down in Washington. And uh, I'm supportive of that. And I'm supportive of that because um, rather than do it just here in the state of Connecticut, where we already have one of the you know, highest income taxes in the country, Rather than put us at a disadvantage, I like what he's doing in terms of tax fairness nationwide. Peter's calling in from Wallingford. You can too, 888-720-9677 to ask your question of Governor Lamont. Peter, go ahead. Hi, Hi Governor Lamont. Uh, I'm happy that you're governor, and I hope that you run another four years. Can you complete your ambitions, your goals, your aspirations as governor uh, during the first term or you need to another term to help um, move things along and connect it. I feel relieved that you're there and I wouldn't like to Peter, your cell phone your cell phone is hard okay. to hear, but I get oh, the gist okay, of sorry. your question. Uh, Peter wants to know, are you gonna run again, Governor? Well, first of all, Peter, I want you to know one of my big priorities is expansion of broadband around this state so everybody has access to um, good high speed internet access. Um, uh, being a little facetious, uh, very important. And uh, as regards running again, look, I'm sick of the politics. We got a lot of work we got to do. I feel like I was just elected. Um, we worked really hard to get through this pandemic in a way that held the state together, kept people safe. Now we're beginning to expand opportunity for folks. Um, there's plenty of time for politics later on. Well, you say you're sick of politics, so you don't want to answer this question right now, whether you're going to run again. That's right. When do you plan on making that uh, announcement, what your decision will be, Governor? I'll hold off as long as I can, I think. I've got a lot of work to do. I like being okay. able to work with everybody. I like it without going through the, um, uh, you know, shade of the politics. Uh, you know, I want to I get this budget implemented. I want to make sure that we have shown that we can put this money to work in a way that makes a difference in people's lives. Well, going back to the work that needs to be done, we just talked about taxes. Senator Winfield's been listening and wants to know, is there ever a time to raise taxes? He says revenue is important to equity and that federal money won't last. What happens then, Governor? Well, um, two things, Gary. I mean, uh, number one, let's show that we put this money to work. Let's show that it made a real difference. Let's so show that the biggest expansion of daycare and childcare and free community college makes a difference then we're in a much better position uh, for the federal government to say, this was an investment worth making and we've got to uh, keep going. And if they don't, uh, then it comes back to the state and we say, look, this was an investment worth making and now we're gonna have to pay to keep it going. That's not for another day though. You can join us 888-720-9677 as we talk with Governor Lamont for the hour here on Where We Live. You know, I just wanted to go back to the uh, question about running again. Uh, when we look at your first term, you've led the state during a worldwide pandemic. Uh, you've signed a bill uh, making recreational cannabis the law. Your administration has worked to renegotiate with the two tribes to expand online gambling and sports betting. It sounds like you have a lot to hang your, your hat on, Governor. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do, Lucy. I mean, um, look, I'm really proud. Those issues you brought up uh, have been festering for a long time. And I wanted to um, 
you know, clear the deck. I thought that uh, the world has gone virtual. We learned that over the course of this pandemic. So it was really important to, um, when it came to sports betting and iGaming, that was important for our tribal partners and important for us to make sure that we're able to compete. Um, uh, but more importantly, we just passed the most important legislative session this state has seen in a long time. And a lot of what we got to do is implement that. And for me, that means um, when it comes to schools, when it comes to workforce, when it comes to apprentices, make sure we take this economy, make sure that everybody gets their opportunity and nobody is left behind. And we got some work to do on transportation. I mean, uh, right now, Mayor Pete and uh, the Biden administration is gonna make significant resources available. I wanna make sure that Connecticut is the front of the line so we can um, speed up rail service, really integrate Hartford, New Haven, Stamford, New York, Boston, in a way that allows our state to keep moving. Look, I am so happy that tens of thousands of people for the first time have moved to the state of Connecticut as opposed to going in the other direction. Those moving vans have turned around, but that's not inevitable. It only works if we continue to honor the promises and implement what we just did in this legislative session. We've spent a lot of time talking about what's been accomplished, but the Transportation Climate Initiative went nowhere this last session. Why did that happen, Governor? Uh, I think a couple of things. I mean, the good news is um, well, we got a highway uh, fee where the big tractor trailer trucks that rumble their way through the state of Connecticut, often not even stopping, are, are going to pay a little bit more. And that's going to allow us to shore up our transportation fund. That's going to allow us to fix our roads and bridges and speed up rail. The Transportation Climate Initiative, uh, Lucy, that was something I wanted to do with Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and um, Washington, D.C., and other states were watching Connecticut to see if we would be the first. I wanted to be the first. That's what Connecticut's all about. But um, look, the petroleum lobby uh, was pretty influential there uh, in the legislature. And um, I think a majority of legislators said, we don't want to be the first here. So it'll come back someday. But it seemed that the opponents uh, were really uh, well organized and they called TCI a gas tax. Again, um, pushing that if suppliers would push the cost on to, to, to consumers, we're talking maybe a five to nine cent increase. So what more could you have done to get this across the finish line? We know that Senate uh, leader um, Martin Looney had said, if we're not going to talk about new revenues this last session, then we're not going to talk about new revenues, alluding to, again, this nominal increase in gasoline, uh, Governor. Should you have bent a little, compromise, compromise more if TCI meant that much It's not a question about new revenues. It's a question of um, I was going to put a fee on carbon. I was going to put a fee on pollutants that's paid for by uh, petroleum middlemen. And I thought that was the right thing to do and slowly get people out of their um, uh, gas uh, cars and moving more towards uh, electric cars, electric vehicles, what that means for asthma, what that means for environmental justice. Uh, take that away. It's not taxes. It's about what we could do on the environment and make make a difference there. Uh, so um, I think it, someday it will come back. I noticed that Rhode Island, on a bipartisan basis, their state Senate just uh, passed it. I think it was bipartisan. Check that. And uh, so I think uh, Massachusetts is going to be moving ahead. And uh, we're a little slower to the game, but we'll be there too someday. Mm -hmm. And I was quoting uh, Senator Looney when he called this new revenues and worried about how this would impact uh, communities, low-income families, if uh, the, the gasoline uh, would fee would increase a little bit at the pump, uh, Governor Lamont. And so do you think that TCI will be something that should come up next session? What will you do to get it across the finish line? 
I got to work with the legislature. Like I said, um, the petroleum guys were pretty uh, Im impactful. Uh, they made a difference there, uh, but uh, it will come back. And I think you're, they're considering similar things down in Washington, D.C. Ironically, it's got Republican support down in Washington when it comes to, um, you know, user fees and, um, and the such. So I, I think it will come back, but not this time. And the difference in Massachusetts is the governor can just move ahead with TCI. He doesn't need a legislature approval like here in Connecticut. Exactly. Again, uh, you can join our conversation with Governor Ned Lamont, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. We'll take more of your questions after the break. Connecticut Governor Ed Lamont is my guest today here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. David's calling in from West Hartford. David, what's your question? Yes, hello, Governor. Hello, Lucy. Nice show. Um, I am a retired guy. Um, I've been substitute teaching for, <clears throat> I guess, almost seven years. And once the pandemic started, I, of course, couldn't do it. And then refused to go back because I didn't think it was safe and I'd love to go back in the fall. I'm kind of wondering what the rules are going to be on, you know, both vaccinations and masks. And I know you're, you're listening to what the feds are saying and so on, but I wonder what your thoughts were on what the situation is going to be in schools in the fall. No, we've done a lot of marijuana and taxes. We're not out of the woods on COVID yet. Um, you know, I'm looking around the world. I see um, that in Britain, where they have AstraZeneca, they have a flare up there with the Delta uh, variant, which is uh, a lot riskier. Israel has uh, got some uh, risk going on. I've even seen in parts of the Midwest, Arkansas and the such, they've had to um, turn the clock back a little bit in terms of restrictions. Los Angeles County just did the same. I don't think we're gonna have to do that in, in Connecticut, David, because uh, we've got, um, the vast majority of our, of our people are vaccinated. And, um, and and that's a really good thing. We're more likely to be vaccinated, less likely to be infected than just about any state in the country. But we're not done. I mean, we've got a lot of folks in some of our urban and even some of our smaller towns where you could see flare-ups and pockets of uh, uh, the COVID variant that put at least those communities at risk. So that means um, I'm still erring on the side of caution. I'm following the CDC. They've said, look, outdoors, um, everything goes. That's fine. Indoors, uh, if you haven't been vaccinated, um, wear the mask. That's um, not only for your safety, but for the safety of all those around you. Um, it makes pretty good sense. We'll have to make up our mind on schools uh, a little bit later. Um, you know, the good news is most of those high school kids will um, be vaccinated or at least have the opportunity to be vaccinated. Some of the younger kids, though, uh, won't have um, a vaccine at that point. So we're going to have to figure that out. And I'm still uh, talking to the CDC on that. Governor Lamont, uh, we know summer goes by quickly and schools, again, are working very hard on their plans and safety measures. And so when do you anticipate whether you would decide if the state's mandate requiring face masks in schools should continue in the fall? 
Um, things are changing so fast. It's going to take probably another month. Uh, we're waiting to see what Pfizer, Moderna have for the uh, next age group in terms of vaccinations, COVID-related vaccinations. Something is coming. It's in testing right now. Probably won't come in time for the new school year. So those are all the type of factors that will uh, help us impact. And I want kids in the school. And there are a lot of kids who won't go to school if they feel like they're at risk of COVID. But there are also some kids who won't go to school if people say we want you to wear the mask again. So we've got a lot of things we've got to balance. But I'm going to err on the side of caution if it gets close. You know, a lot of uh, Americans celebrating Juneteenth uh, just the other week. Do you think Juneteenth should be a state holiday, Governor? I think so. Look, it's a federal holiday, so um, I, I think we should do this. I think it, um, it's worth um, celebrating what that says about uh, social justice and what we are as a, a society. Um, you know, for me as a governor, um, when it comes to state employees, it's something we have to negotiate everything. But uh, we'll work that through over the next uh, few months. We had a caller who wasn't able to stay on but wanted to ask about the legislature passing a very watered-down bill related to zoning that didn't really tackle this issue of exclusionary zoning in our state. This caller wants to know, do you agree that there's more work that needs to be done to address segregation, and how will you do it, Governor? Uh, I was in West Hartford yesterday. I was really proud that um, a big affordable housing uh, project is going in uh, right next to the uh, public right-of-way there, right next to the um, uh, busway. I think that was important. I did the same thing in Meriden. Some of the other towns were making our biggest commitment to affordable housing. I think the state's seen in a while. I think it's really important, though, Lucy, that you just don't spread it all over. You go into downtown areas of um, our small towns, as well as our big cities, make it walkable, easy access to uh, transportation. It's called transit-oriented development. I think we're making progress there. And I also, I was really proud that uh, when it came to accessory apartments, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, grandparents who can't afford that big house they've got already. Uh, so maybe they can stay there a little bit longer if they can rent a, a room or a suite or a garage to a, a teacher or somebody in their community. We made that uh, possible as well. So we're doing good steps. We still have a way to go, no question. Uh, you're from Fairfield County. We know a lot of towns don't even like the transit-oriented development idea. And when we think about housing for elderly, that's the affordable housing that they put up. That doesn't help uh, families or young people. And so when you say you're working towards it, what will you do in the coming months? Well, I, I, there's some of that, but I got to tell you, I'm finding towns across even Fairfield County with your um, question. Um, are providing more housing in downtown areas. You know, Greenwich, Connecticut has got a big expansion there, put together a housing um, trust fund for affordable housing so their kids, so that the folks who live in that town can afford to live in that town. I think there are a lot of towns, um, you'll be surprised, Lucy, that are leading by example. If I, I'm not saying we've done enough. I'm saying we're making progress. Uh, before we let you go, it's only it's almost time to go. We know that your office just announced that a fintech startup company is going to be moving and opening in Stanford. What can you tell us about this uh, company and how many people will be employed here? Uh, over time, it's going to be uh, many hundreds. Um, look, we've announced uh, uh, a number of companies, large and small, that are moving into our state. Um, some of them are down in Fairfield County. Others will be announcing all over the state. Um, you know, this is a company uh, called Tomo Networks. 
and they make it a lot easier for you to uh, get a mortgage, a lot easier for you to buy a house and uh, bring them that cost. Um, you know, comes out of the Zillow world, if, if you know what I'm talking about. But more broadly, I'm really pleased that a number of other businesses will be announcing in different parts of the state. You want to get young people to stay here, be able to afford to stay here. It means good housing, good transportation and good jobs. And I think uh, that's what we're building on, um, you know, coming out of this, uh, you know, horrible COVID pandemic. Uh, we didn't stop as a state. Uh, we kept going. Uh, we tried to do it as safely as we could. And now we got to take advantage of the position where we are and make sure they're good opportunities for people. Speaking of companies, uh, you recently announced that Philip Morris International is going to move uh, its headquarters here, I believe. So what does the state gain from this company and any reservations that you have that this one, one of the biggest tobacco companies and the products that they create that cause addiction among young people and old? Yeah, but I think you should point out that um, they are turning the corner. They're not selling any uh, tobacco cigarettes in this uh, country. They've got a new product out that they're targeted towards those who are addicted to um, cigarette smoking and providing a much safer alternative that has, um, you know, FDA uh, authorization. And I think, um, as I said, when, uh, you know, PMI came to Stanford, you know, we're a state that's uh, going through change and you're a company that's going through change. And uh, so I didn't have reservations about the fact that they're starting out with hundreds of jobs that soon will be, you know, over a period of years, thousands of jobs. And I think it's going to be um, over time a way that we get people off cigarette smoking. Uh, again, your office quickly, uh, you just tweeted something about the $1,000 bonus for reentry in the workforce. Are people taking you up on this? They are. We've got uh, more work to do. Uh, we offered like $1,000 sign-up bonuses just for those folks who maybe are COVID hesitant, not sure if they want to get back into the workforce. We heard that from, you know, Chris or one of your previous folks. So we've had um, thousands of applications. Uh, we've got up to 10,000. So let me just tell people right now, we still have capacity in that $1,000 bonus program. You know, that will help you with the transportation, help you with childcare, or help you, um, you know, take that job. There are a lot of jobs out there right now, and we need you. Governor Ned Lamont, thank you for your time, and we'll definitely do this in person next time. We appreciate it. You got it, Lucy. Thanks, everybody. Today's show produced by Matt Dwyer. Carmen Baskoff was on the phones. Our tech producer is Kat Pastor. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Back tomorrow.